You're listening to episode six of Brought Back Home, airing on 101.9 FM, the CFRC here in Kingston, Ontario, and distributed in podcast form on all major podcast streaming platforms. And of course, as always, it's me, your host, Matt Muto, joining you for this episode. This week, we're going to shake things up a little bit. We've had a couple of cancellations from performers that were planned to join us on the show this week. So unfortunately, there will not be a new live performance. But with that in mind, we only have two episodes left of Brought Back Home before our final episode. We're nearing the end, and I thought it would be appropriate to revisit a performance from each of our guests so far that have joined us. All the musicians that have shared their work have done a fantastic job and gave us great performances on each episode. And before I wrap up this introduction to episode six of Brought Back Home, I'd like to thank everyone that's come on the show, musical guests and non-musical guests. We've had many great discussions with everyone, sharing their knowledge and insight with us, and asking us questions as well, challenging us with new ideas. It's been a very strange time these last few months, through the end of winter, spring, and summer of 2020, with the pandemic giving us a lot to think about and presenting new challenges to us all. However, I will say one thing stays consistent. I've said it a million times on this show, so I don't think it'll hurt to mention it again, but Kingston is special. Over and over again, I've been blown away by not only the talent here in the city, but also the thoughtfulness and kindness of everyone that has supported the show and joined us on the air. The first musical guest we're going to revisit today joined the show for episode two. Liam Neal and Helena Hannibal of Alto Stratus gave us their worldwide debut with three songs of theirs, never heard before. Here's one of those songs, which is titled, Look at What I've Done, performed by the local duo, Alto Stratus.
you're listening to the CFRC 101.9 FM here in Kingston. I'm your host, Matt Muto, and I'm here today with local theater aficionado, Mariah Horner. Aficionado? Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone's ever called me that. <laughs> I don't think you can call me that if I don't know how to spell it. Um, I'm not even sure what the root language would be, to be honest. I imagine it's either Italian, Spanish or Italian. French? Maybe. I'll take it. One of the romantic languages. Anyways, thanks for coming in today, Mariah. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Matt. We have some exciting stuff with you involved coming up here on the CFRC. Mm -hmm. And you've probably been very busy this summer, so we'll have lots to talk about. Oh, heck yeah. So, as I mentioned last week, Mariah Horner is the coordinator for the Shortwave Theater Festival airing here on CFRC probably sometime in November. And we haven't promoted it a lot yet, but I thought it'd be nice before all the promotional materials get out to discuss the logistics of everything from its initial starting phase to about now and what extra steps we need to take. So we'll start with that. And Mariah has also discussed with me before the show that she's been involved with some other things in the theater community here. Mariah is also the head of the Cellar Door Project. Yes. A passion project of yours. Yeah, heck yeah. I'm impressed that you just like remember all of this stuff. You're not reading anything. No, I, I don't like to read from a script because it makes it more of a discussion. Yes. We can see each other and yes. it's not like question A. Mm. Um, do you like the color A, red, B, blue? I would love interviews like that. <laughs> like, I'm a Taurus, so I don't deal well with change. So, like, specific uh. instructions. No, I'm just joking. I, I did the free form. <laughs> so, yeah, I am the festival director of the Shortwave Theater Festival, Shortwave Radio Theater Festival. Um, about a year ago, Dinah and I had been jamming about, like, what, how we could work together because I've been doing theater in Kingston since 2012 uh, with Cellar Door Project. And I was always interested in weird spaces, non-traditional spaces for staging shows. And, you know, Dinah was like, what about the radio? That's a non-traditional space. And we did a lot of research about, you know, um, other radio theater endeavors going on around the world. Like, you know, it's always been pretty big in the UK. Um, Yeah, the BBC has a fantastic amount of so much radio theater yes and i think only recently has it started to come back in canada there's a podcast on cbc called play me uh chris tolly and laura her last name starts with an m i think um but they do canadian plays on the radio and i was so fascinated by it because you know one it's a totally different craft you're dealing with trying to create visual landscapes with sound you're dealing with voice work uh you know lots of different kinds of textures but also it's super accessible Super accessible, right? Like, you know, CFRC is free public broadcast, um, but podcasting too, it's great because especially in the theater scene, Canada sometimes can fall victim to regionalism a little bit. Canada has this really uh, awesome theater scene all spread across. uh, And sometimes there's stuff that's going on in Vancouver that like, if I can't afford a plane ticket, I will never see. And there's tours that can happen of summer works and fringe festivals and artists can move all around the country. But usually I'm missing out on a lot of the work from around 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 the the country and you know I'm not going like uh, zipping down to Stratford to see premieres I can't really afford that it's not happening for me um but radio theater it's a whole other game you know it's you you can still experiment with um 
uh, like, you know, what uh, director's intent. You can experiment with uh, actors doing voice work. Still a lot of the same stuff. The liveness thing comes into question a little bit that comes with theater, but it's super accessible. So I think Dinah and I kind of buzzed on this, and I think that CFRC had had a tradition of doing radio plays a while, while back. Uh, so about a year ago, we wrote this grant. And our pitch was that we were going to do either local artists or artists that had some connection with Kingston. Because uh, I'm sure you know this, talking to musicians too, like a lot of folks will start here, go to Queens or, <laughs> you know, grow up here. And then they're like, yeah, I got to go, right? Yeah, so it's like, you know, there's a lot of folks who are like maybe their art practice grew here, but they're working somewhere else. So we wanted to get five shows. Uh, and kind of one of the things we were really passionate about was hiring like a company instead of casting actors and casting directors per se we were really interested in finding a way that we could make like a group kind of like a rep company that's what's going on at Stratford or other the Shaw Festival also where some actors would play one character in one show and a smaller role in another show and the sound designers could help each other and work together so right now we have about just over 20 artists involved um, kept it pretty small because the other awesome thing is that all the artists are paid on this project it's been really important for me since I've been making theater in Kingston to pay the peeps um, but yeah so there are five shows in the festival it's gonna happen in November uh, all of them are original texts Four of them have been pre-recorded this summer and mixed, and one of them is going to be live. Um, and they're all really different. Yes, they are. Very, very different. Have you gotten to hear any of them? So or? I haven't gotten to hear anything, but I know between myself and Dinah and some of the other people that work here, um, we've exchanged some early test promotional materials, I guess like placeholders, mm. but the synopses for all these shows are already there on the I guess early website so I have also been interviewing some of the writers directors and cast for all five shows I mentioned to you before the program today we had Sarah and Maddie on the show to yeah. talk about uh, their perspectives of not only working on the shortwave theater festival but also how they feel performance art in general has kind of ad adapted yeah. in the last several months um, because we can't be indoors going to shows now. Yeah. And we talked about the history. You touched on this a little bit um, when we talked about the CBC or the CBC, BBC and the CFRC's tradition. So years ago, uh, probably around the time the television was being invented and slightly before, mm. a lot of local radio had people doing live comedy or radio theater productions and it was much more common for the last several decades for many decades uh, that's not hasn't been as popular yeah yeah i listened to uh, 88.1 here in kingston as well which isn't a kingston station <gasps> it's a northern new york station blasphemy it's an npr station are you listening to the cfrc all those are the two presets i have on my <laughs> dial that's it and uh when i'm listening to them i caught this one show that was talking about how local theater and museums and a whole bunch of stuff that we've already talked on the show have adapted mm. and they discussed the fact that radio theater was already making a comeback and this is a point maddie brought up last week as well mm -hmm. because of the fact that podcasts and audiobooks were already seeing an increasing trend of consumers yep and you guys like i had mentioned before you guys weren't planning on this being something to deal, like to adapt to the pandemic. This yeah, was yeah. something that was organized prior. A year ago. Yeah. Yep. So it's interesting to see that you guys 
were already talking about it and yep. organizing it and writing the grant and everything um, before everyone in theater said we have to change how we get our productions out to the public yep well what's interesting too and i you know i kind of touched on this about the accessibility thing is that the radio theater festival meets a lot of challenges that folks in the performing arts have been talking about for decades so besides let's put it beside the, the pandemic aside here one accessibility that i'm talking about some people can't afford to fly across the country to see shows um well, you don't have to. It's on the radio. Two, cost, right? Like, it's a, a radio show. It's free. The whole festival is free to tune into. You don't have to pay to experience any of these five shows. That's awesome. That doesn't happen if you're going to Stratford or the Grand. Um, three, um, environmental. A lot of, I work with a lot of other digital theater companies that have been making the argument for years that digital theater and different kinds of broadcast can still embrace liveness that theater celebrates, but not need us to fly across the country to do so. And I think that's kind of what was has been really interesting about this project is that a lot of the things that we wrote in the grant that we were celebrating about accessibility, about local artists, about um, stuff, good stuff for the environment, still is at play here but then we've been presented with this immense challenge of the pandemic and we realize that you know you can still kind of make the work inside of that and like speaking outside of specifically the shortwave festival i've been doing a lot of thinking about this kind of work because i mainly look at and i mainly make like a non-traditional immersive participatory like you're not going to come see one of my shows and sit in a theater and watch a play it's not going to happen um and what's really interesting to me is a lot of other artists that are in my kind of cohort were the first ones out of the gate doing stuff in the pandemic because they were already bending the assumptions and breaking the rules of theater. If you say to someone, you know, um, someone like me, oh, you can't be in the theater anymore. I'm like, well, I never <laughs> was. Right. Good point. And I think, you know, a lot of these artists have been experimenting with proximity. A lot of the works that I do are like, how close can we get to people? So what the heck is the difference of being like, OK, how far can we get people? <laughs> the radio is another medium, right? Yeah. There's still like other, you know, I'm not a part of the camp. And I think this happens a lot. And it happens in the Kingston scene, too, of uh, a lot of people deciding, well, this isn't theater and this is theater. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to try to find space for in the radio theater. The most important one for me is liveness. Like, how can you capture some of the live mm. quality of Historically, that's just such a big part of what theater is. Exactly. Right? right. And, you know, sometimes that's a little bit difficult when it comes to radio theater. So there's questions that you have to answer. But I'm like, who are you to tell me what is theater and what is not theater? Like at the beginning, like we would throw a rock into a pond to be like, oh, it's theater. Like, <laughs> you know, that's you don't nobody gets to make those rules. And I think with the pandemic really blowing up the ways that we think we can engage with theater, artists that have been already experimenting with these non-traditional ways feel really comfortable uh, asking these questions and I feel really grateful to be able to do that with the CFRC and I think you were totally right because we wrote this grant a year ago <laughs> and then March and when March rolled around Dinah and I were like oh yeah like we can totally still do this like this could totally be an entire festival in which mm -hmm. nobody comes within six feet of each other it's kind of uh, I said this last week a silver lining that there's probably going to be a little bit more attention and ears on this production that you're putting and everyone else is putting so much work into mm -hmm. uh, we there's a lot of negatives because of the pandemic but i think we can take this one win for radio theater yes. here at the cfrc <laughs> because of the circumstances it's a big w for it the radio theater w. world yeah oh yeah <laughs> and I, you know i think you touched on it too is that people need it more than ever like i know that's really stupid but we did a show cellar door project did a show this may and um 
It was just a pop-up show. It was called To You, and it was a pop-up performance piece that took place on people's porches. And basically, we just picked 20 houses in the neighborhood, knocked on their door, and did the play on the lawn. That's really cool. It was so cool. It was with Kay Kenny, who's a dancer and an artist in town, and Laura Chagnon, who's a poet. And we worked on it, just the three of us, and we would just stroll up in people's lawns. And, you know, we never came close to anybody. It was a totally physically distant performance. But what was so interesting was, like, cars driving by were stopping and watching <laughs> and clapping and dancing on their, like, driveways. And it was like, oh, crap. Like, people really feel like they need something to remind them that this kind of art and togetherness and community and celebration, there's still room for it. Like, yeah, I'm not going to say that it's really hard to sit here and be like, it's a silver lining or it's a positive when we know that a lot of people are dying and this yeah. is really serious, but still like maybe because of how bad it is, there is an, a need for something that's celebratory inside. I think so. It's so important now when it's so much harder to, celebrate community oh, yeah. with other people because you can't be in the same room as people and you have yeah. to stay outside you have to stay away from people so i think this festival is important in celebrating the identity of kingston because yeah. this city has such a rich history currently and in the past of so many different mediums yeah so it's really nice to see that something can thrive even now in our art scene oh yeah mm. and these shows like talk about celebrating kingston like i don't think you could have five more different shows from one another like one of them is like a vaudeville clown show mm -hmm. Did yeah, you philip and lucinda philip and mm -hmm. lucinda yes one of them is like a gay victorian ghost story so great risha andre is a great playwright um one of them is called the revolution has failed which is like a really um dystopian kind of revolutionary take on like what do you do to take back the government um, one of them is like a children's story about uh, two kids. Well, they're not kids, but it's a, a TYA kind of show for youth about these two explorers who are exploring a sound castle. Which was perfect for radio theater. Oh, my God. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Exactly. The last one is... Um, the show that's going to be live, which is, uh, it's a redo, uh, kind of a remix of a show that we did this June live on the airways in CFRC called Talk to Me. And it is a sex, a call-in yes. sex and dating radio advice show. And this is going to be a sequel or maybe a prequel or maybe somewhere in the middle. It's not the exact same show, but it's going to be live on the air. And that's the other piece. So these five shows are like totally all over the map. Like we have artists of all ages uh, doing this piece we have artists like really professional theater artists in Kingston people who this is their first time doing something like this um, but everybody is paid we have professional sound designers and it feels really good you know I think the other big W here is this art scene is like in Canada and around the world is really quieted right now and there's a lot of artists who lost all of their income for the next two years that's a good point and another big w is like this is 25 artists that are in kingston that don't have to be unsafe but can still make money from their craft you know and i'm not gonna say like nobody's buying a hot tub here but <laughs> it's still something I yeah think. it is yeah well i think the biggest challenge has always been money for budding artists right mm. and even now, if you're someone starting out, it's even more difficult. Yeah. Also, something that I talked about last week with Sarah and Maddie is that we are not, because we're not charging a fee for any of the performances to, to witness or listen to them, um, we don't have to worry about the return. Yeah. Something that a lot of yes. companies involved with yes. creating media in general have to worry about the return. So like you said, not only is there variety, but some of these, I wouldn't say risks, but there, Total risk. there's 
avenues that most of the productions are taking that you would kind of be hesitant if you were worried about yes. the almighty dollar the yes. entire time, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think this is going at risk of going down a very dangerous rabbit hole to go down with me. But uh, I was interviewed by Skeleton Park a few weeks ago. And one of the things that I talked about that's a blessing of this, not a blessing, but a, a thing to take with your arts practice of this pandemic is being not, not being precious and not being afraid of who's coming to your shows and trying something you know, different. And this is what the huge case for UBI is, right? Like I'm really, absolutely uh, um, something I'm really backing and behind as an artist is the case for universal basic income in Canada. And think about the kind of risks that artists could take if they didn't have to say, oh, if 30 people don't come to my concert tonight, then I'm not going to be able to pay my rent. Imagine the kind of risk they could take with that concert. Just creatively, right? Creative Imaginatively risk. Imaginatively. Oh, they could take yeah. so much more risk. And, you know, we could ask so many bigger questions and try so many bigger things if we weren't, you're totally right, just victim to how many people are going to show up, how many bums and seats are there going to be. And you're totally right about that. this festival. It allows artists to get a little bit weird or ask these kinds of experimental creative questions that they haven't been able to. Um, and again, I think that's another, another big W. I got a friend, like my, my roommate, uh, she's from Paris and a lot of her friends who are artists out in Europe are under UBI and they're, you know, I'm not going to say they're having a great time, but they're innovating their own practice right now. Whereas someone like me, like, you know, I have to take Joe jobs in order to pay my bills. I can't just like innovate my practice and do some other theater stuff forever because I need to pay rent. Um, but you know, it's interesting that you bring Kingston into this mix when you talk about our local community, because I don't know about you, but I'm like pretty happy I'm living here and not in any other big city because there is at least that kind of local look at support. And even just from a, when we're talking about money and art, the marketing is so important for anything that you want to promote in our society, right? Mm. If you're not marketing something, people don't know about it. And you can only put so much money and time towards marketing while also putting that money and time towards Towards the the creative aspect. And towards, like you said, working uh, Joe jobs or service industry jobs. Um, There's so many artists here that I know work in local businesses and bars, myself included. So it's interesting to see artists are able to create the art that they do while also, like you said, working these jobs. Because if we did have UBI, we wouldn't have to worry like you said, we can take more risk and we can invest more time into, into the, the art as well. Well, yeah. And it, I think, you know, it's on both ends, right? Because UBI is only going to feel like it's um, something that's appealing to the general public if we start to understand art as something that is universal and basic, right? Like you think about art like public health, right? For me, performances and music in the square and workshops for kids, arts education, that's as important to me as like certain components of public health. I believe it's good for the public community health. And, you know, if we started as a collective to have that understanding of art, then maybe UBI would be more appealing. And, you know, the tricky thing is, is when you say like, you know, it's very cool that artists can still, can still market and do their work. Uh, It just shows the work ethic that a lot of these people yeah. have it's i'm not saying that it's great and ideal exactly. it's just it show it shows that these people work very hard that's not gonna be sustainable forever as someone like you know i'm someone who i've been back in kingston i did my undergrad at queens and then i left and went to ottawa and then came back a few years after that and i've been here kind of on and off for about 10 years and um this idea of needing to 
to take other work. I'm someone who is like constantly has my hands in too many pies. Like I've just too many things that I've said yes to. I'm excited about all of them, but you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Cause I say that, I say yes to these things cause I'm excited about them. But then I also say yes, cause I'm like, Oh crap, one more thousand dollars. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I won't get screwed on my taxes this year, but I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think that kind of stuff is sustainable. And I think you're totally right. Like think about what we could do. Think about the risks that we could take. I feel lucky because uh, me too. I was working in a service industry before Corona. I work at the grad club. I love the grad club. And I was lucky enough that I could find lots of ways to put my own art practice into my work at the grad club because we just did a show, a play at the grad club. That's right. I remember on our third episode, I believe you and Emily were talking about it during and before the interview. Like that show closed on the last day of Corona. But for me, it was great because I was a bartender at the grad club doing this play about the grad club. Like I was lucky that I could kind of do that full circle. But... You know, I was burnt out by the end of March, for <laughs> sure. I was spending, like, I love that those three stories, but I was spending, like, 50 hours in that building a week, 60 hours just in the grad club. I was like, oh, God, I'm starting to become part of the walls here. <laughs> so why don't we take a quick break, and we'll continue to talk about the various pies your hands are in. Gross. <laughs> You're the one who said it, not me. Constellations I can see the brightest one And who is to say that I am wrong Who is ever right And who is to say I'm accountable Knowing what I like Dancing and curbing the auspicious hurting My head is messy Bearing the heat over my sleeplessness I'm Just not ready Holding, breathing Full of feeling I can't undo Golden woven Spun through the olden
a performance by the talented Tyson Sullivan, which we shared with you back on episode two of the show. This next tune was performed by last week's guests, Hinterwood. Both Tyson and Hinterwood have new music coming out very soon, so give them a follow or like online to stay updated. Once again, here's Hinterwood with their song, Romantic Failure.
out and show me where I can change things now. I'm a romantic failure. I just wanted to make sure. I'm a romantic failure. I just wanted to make sure. So I wish you would have told me instead of me finding out. Take me to your heart and show. with Mariah Horner. We talked a lot about shortwave and some of the other projects like the outdoor door-to-door shows you were doing. Yeah, so shortwave happening, part of Cellar Door. Shortwave is a collaboration yeah, with true. Cellar Door and with CFRC. Um, and I forgot to say at the beginning too, like the other reason this came up, shortwave, was because a few years ago, maybe two years ago, CFRC did a production of War of the Worlds. That's right. Which was like, you know, that was kind of a big, famous... Uh, radio theater thing. I know the reason it was so famous is because people thought it was real. Thought it was real. Yeah. Yeah. So they did a re- they did a version of that through CFRC, which was kind of what ignited Dinah's interest, I think, in this. And then she approached Cellar Door. But yeah, so Cellar Door has been doing this kind of work in Kingston since 2012. Our very first show was a eight-week run of a play in the basement of Kingston City Hall. There's a jail cell down there. There's a little prison. And if you look in one of the little cells, there's this iPad with a really bad acted, poorly acted monologue performed by me that it's like, of course, one of those situations, like I'm sure musicians feel like this often of like, why does that have to still exist in the world? (laughs) It's like this very first thing we ever did. And I'm like, and that's the thing that has to be preserved forever. But oh, well, so that was the first show that we did. um, And then since then, we've done. I want to say 15 original shows in Kingston and in Ottawa. Basically, the rule for us is um, we make plays about things that actually happened in the places that they actually happened. So we'll take a community space, a park, a bar, a record store, a cemetery. We'll do a bunch of oral history research and interview folks, go to the archives, and then we reconstruct a play and perform it in that same space. Very nice. So it's been super fun. Like, you know, the reason I started doing it, I co-founded the company in 2012 when I was at Queen's still was I really wanted to make my own work. I really did not give a shit about Shakespeare and <laughs> um, I didn't have any money. So like the idea of me renting a theater space in Kingston, couldn't afford that. But you know how much it costs to rent a cemetery? <laughs> Zero dollars. That's really smart. The The whole integrating the space because it's a non-traditional space with the production. Yes. And, you know, there's lots of writing that goes on about this where some people, there was a moment when immersive theater got really popular when critics were kind of calling it out for being gimmicky. But I think what makes Cellar Door really interesting is that we have a really hyper local focus. Well, I remember when critics were, were calling this immersive theater gimmicky, and I don't really think that's the case. I think you become, as an audience member, more immersed in the experience because of the uniqueness of it Mm -hmm. you can get immersed you can get caught up in and lost in the characters in a setting in a theater Mm -hmm. but then when the set changes sometimes you can you lose that but Mm -hmm. if 
Mm-hmm. In the cemetery case, if, if you're talking about something that happened around that area, it's easier to place yourself as a viewer into the story, mm-hmm. you know, as an observer. Yeah. Well, you also just, I think the other reason that I've always been so excited about this kind of work is it takes itself so much less seriously. Like if I'm going to see a production of Hamlet uh, at the Grand and it's directed by a director who has something to say about Hamlet, like that's... That's not accessible for people. Like, we're not seeing young people go to the theater because they don't really feel like being preached at. They don't really feel about having to, like, crack a code. And, you know, some of what has always driven me as a theater artist is I work in bars. I work with musicians a lot. Like, why are shows at the grad club with bands that cost the same as a theater ticket packed? But when I'm, like, I'm doing a play it's not as interesting. Why is that the case? And I think there's lots of reasons, but one of them is that I think that there's this real inaccessibility about like high art to theater. I would agree. And as soon as you take it and you put it in a cemetery or in a bar or in a record store, people kind of forget that a little bit and that like elitist veil is taken off and it's way more playful. Like, you know, the show we did at the Grad Club, you could drink in it, you could move in it, you could go have a smoke at intermission. Like that's, you know, it feels much... Uh, friendlier, I think, mm-hmm. and I think it's the same with the radio, and I think that's, I totally agree with, like, you know, being immersed in what that does to you as an audience member. I think it makes you feel like you're a part of it more instead of, like, sit down in the dark and be quiet, right? And, you know, even you and I, one of our connections before we started chatting a bunch uh, with CFRC was we knew each other through Queen's Players, and people always have a lot to say about Queen's Players <laughs> and what it yeah. does, and I'm not going to go into it, but that's immersive theater, Right? Yeah, like you're in a is. bar, you're drinking. That stuff sells out. Like Queen's Players sells out in like two hours every time. Like they just did a show on Zoom and raised a butt ton of money, right? And there's the Toronto uh, Queen's Players now as well. Exactly. And like, okay, we can argue and go blue in the face if this is theater or not. But like, I don't really care because people are coming and it's mm-hmm. live performance. And, and as someone who appreciates theater, even if you don't want to consider it theater and you do want to say that, it's still fun. It's fun. It's a live live show. It's fun. You're supporting artists. You're like, in the case of players, you're supporting charity, you know? And I think that that theater has a lot of, you know, my parents, I also grew up in the GTA and my parents are not, now they are, but they were not theater people. And I can remember going to see shows with them and my dad like being silent in the front seat of the car on the way home. And I'm like, what did you think? And he's like, I don't want to say anything. I, I'm going to sound stupid. I was like, that, that's theater's fault. That's not yeah. your fault. Like, what, what have we done to this medium that makes people feel like they're afraid to feel stupid? That's something we haven't talked about yet on the show is the division between society's view of high art mm-hmm. and then pop culture and everything else. Oh, yeah. So with theater, I think you're right. With theater, it is a different problem compared to, well, actually, in art galleries, it's probably comparable issue but with music we see like genres have crossed lines so many times Mm -hmm. since music's beginning Mm -hmm. because of i don't know i I can use a nerdy word like globalization uh maybe but just the fact that like we're all so well connected now we can be inspired by so many different things if they're similar or dissimilar classical music and <laughs> pop music, they've been able to do it for a while to coexist and work with each other. Yeah. And with, with theater, you're right. I would say that high art theater is typically viewed as something that is very old, like traditional yep. play, which and a lot of them happen to be written by Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the phrase high art is very 
what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like self-indulgent yes, almost. Yes, 100% self-indulgent. And people who identify as people who only associate with that. There, there is some snootiness. And, and you're right, as turning down the formality of the setting, I think it would help a lot. Not only the marketability, but the appeal factor for, yeah. for anyone who isn't interested and is, feels alienated, like your father, totally for example. Totally alienated, yeah. And I think, you know, turning down the formality, but the other thing is like, stealing the space of others, right? So we'll take one of our more successful shows that we've done in the last few years was a show that we did at Brian's Record Option. And the play was called New and Used. And we've done, I think, three remounts of this play because it went so well. And the whole play, if you've ever been in Brian's Record Option, you've been, I'm sure. This is a tiny, itty-bitty, tiny space. Uh, can't really turn sideways <laughs> in it without knocking everything over. But this play was for two actors and five audience members. And every day we would show up into the record store and Brian would be like, oops, I sold eight tickets or oops, I sold 11 tickets. And we're like, Brian, we can't fit 13 <laughs> people in this tiny space. But what happened was so many of the folks that came to see that show were folks who loved Brian's. Many of them had never been to a play before. Many of them didn't even care about the play right. that was going on. They were just like, ooh, something going on about Brian's. And this happens to us a lot where like, okay, if the appeal of theater is not strong enough, well, then why don't we like steal the appeal of the grad club and then just like shove some theater <laughs> in there too. And then I always find um, really beautiful conversations with people after because they kind of like didn't know what they signed up for. And even if parts of it are like don't resonate for them or parts of it, maybe parts of it feel alienating you still can go have a beer. It's still your yeah. space. We're entering your space instead of asking you to come to ours. That's a good point. And I th but I think it's also important to be to have your ideas and what you're used to or what you expect even challenged when y mm -hmm. you're observing anything of any form of art. Mm -hmm. Well, that was kind of what the, the last piece that we did at the grad club. It was called Our House. And it was a collaboration between Cellador Project and uh, Tracy Guptill's company, Anarch Theatre. And... You know, the play was about activism. The play was about uh, being a young person who's an activist. But one of the threads of the piece, which uh, Tracy really beautifully constructed, she's also an actor in shortwave, is um, a very long land acknowledgement. And we know, like, the practice of land acknowledgements is really prevalent in theater right now. And there's a lot that's been written and said about how they're working and what they're doing. But one of the things that we really wanted to do was, you know, we really wanted to challenge the idea that, like, white settlers can say, like, this land is stolen. Now see our show. Yeah. We really wanted to challenge, like, what are we actually saying by acknowledging the land? So Tracy wrote, like, a five-page land acknowledgement that happened like five times in the play. It also happened at the end and it was like the last thing that people were left with and we really wanted to explore it. But that was just a play about the grad club. Right. And one of the coolest things was that she started at like now through the grad club and went backwards through history of all the things that have happened on that space. So we had a lot of regulars to the bar who came to see the show. These are really smart, really um, thoughtful, really uh, engaged people that we like to hang out with at the bar. I'm a bartender there. But I would venture to guess that they didn't know what was going on in the 60s and the 40s, before that, before that, before that at the building. But they're like, sure, I'll come see Momo's weird play at the grad club. And then suddenly there's this kind of whole new lens that they can see the space under. But it's exactly what you said, right? It's like challenging people's assumptions, but like with a little trail of Cheerios, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of why I'm so excited about shortwave too with CFRCs. Like a lot of people just leave CFRC on. Yeah, they do. A lot of people yeah. leave it on in their workplaces or in their cars or in their homes. And, 
you know, there's a huge diversity of programs on this station and I'm really excited to add this other <laughs> week long, like departure from something that they're used to. And I'm, what I'm most excited about is like not people who are diehard theater people tuning in. I'm most excited about like, you know, um, a carpenter who keeps it on in his car who ends up listening to an hour long play about clowns. And then it's like, what the hell did I just listen to? Like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. It, but it's also an added bonus too that, you know, with modern technology, we have two ways of distributing yep. the, not only a shortwave show, but this show as well. Yep. So we can get any message we want out if, if we can get it to the right people yep. via various social platforms. Yeah who will appreciate this. Yeah. They, they don't have to travel here. Like you said, for, for a production, for a theater production, you expect yourself to have to travel to different places in order to see them. And that's not viable for a lot of people. So I think the fact that we can put this on the radio mm-hmm. and have people have it in the background or maybe actively listen to it, it's great either way. And we have the internet as this delivery delivery system yes. as well. Oh, and I love it. And, you know, I think you're on the money, too, bringing up the internet. Because a lot of my other work, besides working with Cellar Door, is I've worked for a few years with a, a company called Spiderweb Show. And they're based in Kingston out of the Isabel. And every year they run a festival called Folda, Festival of Live Digital Art. And I've been working with them, like I said, for maybe three, four years now. And this year it was very similar to what happened with Shortwave. Of the festival was planned for June. In March, when the pandemic hit, we were like, okay, this is a digital art festival. Most of the time, people were like, artists were still supposed to come here to do their digital shows. But instead, the festival fully pivoted and put everything online. And, you know, there's constantly people in this community, people on the internet being like, well, digital theater is not theater. And I'm like, okay, well, tough. Like, at one point, we were pissed that there were electric lights in theater. Like, when, when we went from candlelight to electric light in theater, people were like, this is not theater. <laughs> so, like, you know, no wonder people are not coming anymore because we've decided we're an immovable medium. No. Like, I get that maybe not everyone is well-versed and excited in digital art, but, like, you can't tell me what to do. And also, it's a great opportunity for a huge space. You know, like, we, we have theaters or shows that take place in traditional theater spaces. The capacity is, like, 200. What is our capacity on the Internet? And for me, like, the only thing that has to be captured for theater to be theater, and people can fight me on this, but is this thing I brought up a bunch about liveness. Like, there has to be some space for uh, a shared awareness of we're all in the space at the same time. But I don't care what that space looks like. If that space is, like, a Habo Hotel chat room or a Zoom call or a bar or a cemetery or a Facebook messenger, that's all still space. You know, and it's like this challenge of having to use the internet and innovating around the internet. Like, holy crap, like we're going to come up with some pretty weird. We talked about this already. The whole the whole big point of identity for a lot of art is how unique and different can yeah. you be? That's what's exciting. If you can shift your thinking as an artist to look at it as like a, a an obstacle that you can climb over... I think it's really helpful. I think we have a lot of work to do because specifically digital, and it's one of the reasons, again, why I'm so jazzed about the CFRC shortwave thing, but digital art is a lot, in a lot of cases, is not accessible to many communities uh, across around the world, but also in Canada. Um, You know, high-speed internet in indigenous communities up north, non-existent sometimes. That's true. So we have a lot of work to be able to make digital work accessible beyond Mm -hmm. white, middle-class, cis people. But... 
I think it is an opportunity to really kind of break our brains about what kinds of art we can make. And again, like CFRC, like this is free. This yeah. is free stuff. Like, you know, this space is free on Queen's campus and this, you know, using, putting the whole thing on the radio is free. Like that's really a game changer when you pay like, I don't know, you pay 60, 70 bucks to get a ticket to a show at Stratford. Like, I don't have that. I'm not doing that. It's interesting that you talked about the immovability of not everyone, but mm-hmm. a small but vocal group of the theater community. Oh, yeah. That's been the case for, I would say, every art medium ever. Mm. When, like we were talking about the transition from radio to television earlier, yep. not only for for music or for comedy or radio theater or anything, the internet has become this entertainment entity as well as information entity as well and like how people can connect it's a social thing and we saw with at least with music and definitely with other art as well with television with film coming from (laughs) paying for everything to all of a sudden not having to pay for everything with BitTorrent and peer-to-peer sharing back in like the late 90s early 2000s when it was very popular like when Metallica sued Napster you have to be able to adapt and unfortunately like we talked earlier we have to think about the monetary gain we can create for for, from our livelihood yep but if you're going to do that you also have to be creative just like you have to be creative with how these productions are put on or how anything is distributed to the world um that was a bit of a tangent but I, but i think it's important because we see we haven't talked about the fact that there's a lot of people who aren't willing to move from how things are done yes. in so many different areas of the art world, but we need to, we need to, cause that's how we evolve socially as well. Yes. Like there was this article that came out, I think it was in the globe and mail, like at the beginning of this pandemic from very traditional theater artist out East. And the like uh, title of the article was, I feel like a cobbler in a world that doesn't wear shoes. And I was like, so make flip flops. Like, I get that, but really what that's coming from, and this is, like, a white old dude, an old white dude, so I'm like, what you're really saying is, oopsies, I'm irrelevant, and I have sympathy for that. Or you're afraid of change. Or you're afraid of change. You don't want to learn new things, and that's a very human thing as you age. Exactly. But you can't, you have to roll with the punches, you know? And I get, you know, like, I think sometimes I get a little bit passionate in these kinds of circles about this conversation, because my other argument is like, okay, so what else are we going to do? Like, you're just going to sit here and be like, this isn't theater. And be stubborn. And be stubborn. And then guess what? You're not making theater. Like, we don't really have another option besides pivot. And like I I said before, I acknowledge that that's not accessible for everybody, um, you know, due to patriarchy and other systems of oppression that have been ongoing. Definitely. But we don't really have another option. We can't just be like, but the good old times, well, sucks. Like... You got to make the best with what opportunity you can be given and what opportunity you can create. Yes. And I think, you know, like that's that's what's really interesting for me. This year has been a really interesting case study for me because I was really lucky in that uh, the, cel- the show that we did at the Grad Club Our House closed on the last day, Friday the 13th. The next day, Saturday the 14th was when like everything was like we're not opening on Monday. So that was like first chapter of 2020 and it was great. It was this beautiful piece about activism. The community showed up. We had so much fun. I worked with incredible artists. Uh, Part two was the pandemic. 
um, we did this little pop-up porch show. Then I did the Folda Festival, the Festival of Live Digital Art. Now it's shortwave. And it's been a really interesting thing for me to look at and be like, okay, this was not what I thought I was going to be doing. This was not what I thought theater was going to look like. But there is still space for projects. One artist asked me, he was like, cool, you're an entrepreneur. You have this kind of pivot background. What would you say to musicians? Right? I, I, feel, I feel really bad for, not bad, but I feel for musicians in our community because, you know, what can you do as a musician besides play a live stream? Right now, hopefully play an outdoor show. Play an outdoor show. Those are and the two things. That's the other thing I've been trying to like really be patient with my community about of like not, ev there's, a, we have people who say no change and then we have people who are like me that are like change, but there's some stuff in the middle. Some people are, can't access change or like are scared to, like you said, or, you know, so I think that I should be a little bit more patient and I'm not saying that everyone can well, we've talked about this on the show before too. Is that there's been there's been other um, ideas for musicians and what about a drive-in concert? That's exactly what I was going to say. Drive-in concerts are a great idea, but if we're talking about accessibility, mm -hmm. not everyone has a car. So, mm -hmm. are you going to turn people away who somehow managed to make it to mm -hmm. the show? Probably not. You're probably going to let them sit outside midway through March. So many things had to adapt and change, and it's not just the arts this is something that everyone deals with and like you said so many people have died and had their lives changed or severely affected because they've either contracted this or they know someone else that has contracted COVID-19 and that sounds very bleak but eventually we'll get past it but in the meantime we have to pivot we have to do what we can to make the best of a very difficult situation. And I guess like for me, a lot of it is because I've been met in this community and like on the internet at large, I have been met with a lot of theater artists that are like, this isn't theater. I, I agree with you in the, we need to pivot. I guess where I would take it is if you don't want to, that's okay. But then don't tell me that I'm not like, I like Agreed. for some people dealing with this, pivoting is what feels good. And for some people dealing with this, like closing their laptop for the summer feels good. And both of those are options. And I think that I'm really noticing the immovability, like I said, of theater, because I feel this real response back. Like, this isn't theater. This isn't theater. Th like, leave me alone. Like, if this <laughs> isn't your kind of theater, cool. We should be able, like we were talking about with high art versus pop yeah. culture. Let they they should it. be able to coexist. Exactly. If you don't want to associate with it, you don't need to, but you no. shouldn't you shouldn't be putting those people down. No. You know, and I just think also nobody can ever decide what is or what isn't art. You can just try something Very true. weird. Just try something weird and you know, I think I'm curious to see what's going to happen long game because, you know, one of the things we talked about early in the show is that I believe that artists theater artists, I can only speak for theater artists, at least in my cohort, are starting the shift. What hasn't shifted is the infrastructure. What hasn't shifted is the granting structure. What hasn't shifted is the yada, yada, yada. So can we sustain a shift if we don't have support of the infrastructure that we rely on? No. Mm -hmm. The infrastructure needs to adapt as well. U, B, I, U, B, I. <laughs> but, you know, like... I was, I've been, last few weeks, I've been trying to find some more grants for a project I'm doing in the fall, and I'm noticing the granting dates are really, it's really poor timing, because it was like they were due in May, and, or was it May, or it was like March and August, or something like that, and like, that is a really tricky time, because you don't hear about them for four months later, so it's a really tricky time to do anything that's responsive to 
COVID in a certain amount of time, right? So that's just one example. But I think once the infrastructure shifts, then we can figure out. And it's the same thing for musicians. It's exactly what you said. Like if, yeah. if musicians can only release songs on Spotify and do live streams, then we have to find a way that they can pay their bills doing that. Whether it be UBI, whether it be mm. monetization, whether it be something, the the musicians and the artists are already shifting and pivoting, but now we just need the greater infrastructure around us to do the same thing. Definitely. So, yeah. Well, I think this has been a very great, great discussion. We've answered a lot of questions, but we've also made a lot of questions that, you know, don't need to be answered and just things we need to think about. Yes. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, this so was fun. Thanks for coming on the show, Mariah. Often, My pleasure. I find I forget that this is being recorded Aww. and it that's what I like about this whole process is yep. it, it's a discussion that you and I are having and other people can listen and participate so if people want to participate and maybe learn more about the cellar door or learn more about the Shortwave Theater Festival coming up. Is there anything you want to say to those people? Yes. So Shortwave Theater is first. So that's going on uh, November, early November. Uh, if you want to find out more about it, we have a website, shortwavetheater.com. So you can look at the actors, the companies, the directors, the synopsises, all the information you can find there. Uh, you can get in contact with us also through that. Um, and then Cellar Door, we have a Facebook, a Twitter, an Instagram. Follow us. Uh, don't really know what's coming down the pipes for the next few years, hmm. but just follow us and you like any, I'm reading all the messages. So if anybody wants to pick up any of this conversation, let me know. Fantastic. Always here for UBI. But thanks for, thanks for having me, Matt. No problem, Mariah. Much Pleasure having you. Things have been crazy, man. I've been around. Too many jokers and too many clowns You know the type they wanna bring you down Way down, way down Where's the time go? I'm 36 now I've been around the track and run through a few towns And baby, what the hell are we gonna do now? This world's gone mad and we're stuck in the house So give me the whiskey, man, I like it smooth School beers, I like those too. Give me the music that will make me move. And above all else, give me one more night with you. I'll start the fire and I'll fire up the grill. Well, that's my version of Netflix and chill. And we ain't got nothing but time to kill. High school beer can't fix it, nothing will. So give me the music that will make me move. Give me the high school beers, I like those too. Give me the whiskey, oh, I like it smooth. And above all else, give me one more night with you. Things are crazy, ain't leaving a house And we've been hanging with the coolest kids in town And when this is over and the end of shutdown well, We don't care, we ain't leaving our house So give me the whiskey, man, I like it smooth Give me the Moscow beers, I like those too Give me the music that will make me move And above all else, give me one more night
live rendition of Prairie Petals by Emily Steele, which she performed on episode three of Brought Back Home. Emily Steele and The Deal played a live set on the Isabel's online summer festival series last week, and if you missed it, you can actually go to the Isabel Bader Center's Facebook page to watch the recording of that set. The prior song, the first of the two, was a past broadcasted performance from our first episode with Sean Bain, who's going to be releasing some new music in the very near future. Be sure to follow both artists on social media and check out their websites for updates on releases, shows, and more. I'd like to thank Mariah Horner again for joining us on the show today to talk about the Shortwave Theatre Festival put on by both the Cellar Door Project and the CFRC, as well as talking to us about a whole range of issues from UBI to local theatre to the pandemic and so on. Willie Nilly, who is on our fourth episode of Brought Back Home, is going to close out our show with their original composition, Talk. This has been Brought Back Home with me, Matt Muto. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, and take care of yourselves. Checking out Awful lot of noise but doesn't stop an awful way from out of my daddy mouth And you've heard them all before But sing about my information Makes you think I'm getting closer now To finding my way out And sing back to something else that I'm a solid ground Cause I swore that I'd be smart enough But it's all a jest Talk, talking like I got the answer From the seat again So please double chance That a fine night stop But just in fate God damn
closing windows, hiding out Is it something creeping closer now? Wouldn't say I'm scared, but sure it's at right to speak And my eyes are glued to the ground Fists are all up shaking, I admit it's now away from my right close problem child Cause I swore that I'd be coming now But it's all called just talk Talk, talk, and I got, got the answer from the seat again Drop that expecting that I'll stay there Long 